following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. You should experience lots of explosions with no body parts. Parents should be ready to cover their ears. Broken Sea Audio Production, OTR Swagcast. Hello, hello, is there anyone there? Are you reading me? This is Morris Hartford. Manservant to Jake Sampson. We are on expedition in the deepest of Africa to collect herbs and other remedies from local medicine men. I have been cut off from the rest of my expedition team, including Texas Holdem and the lovely Miss Lucy Carter. I have nothing but the recordings of several old-time radio dramas broadcast on the shortwave by a Mr. William Howig called the OTR Swagcast. I don't know how much longer I can hold out without rescue. Luckily, I have... Audio dramas from Inner Sanctum and Nightfall to rely upon to pass the hours. I also have a lost classic on lycanthropy. If you can hear this, please contact Jake Sampson and let him know that I am still alive and I am working my way back to them. We should meet at the pre-arranged coordinates of... This is Jake Sampson, Monster Hunter. 
I don't always listen to old-time radio or podcast audio dramas. But when I do, I prefer BrokenSea.com. Stay listening, my friends. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you through the squeaking door for another half hour of lovely chills and shudders. Oh, before we begin tonight, I'd like to give you a word of advice. If you should ever walk through a cemetery at midnight and come face to face with a transparent personality floating above a tombstone, don't be frightened. After all, you can see right through him. Gracious, why do we have to talk about cemeteries? Because, Mary, our story tonight is about a vampire. Where else would you expect to find one if not in the cemetery? In the Vampire State Building? Well, <laughs> suppose you go wait in that closet there and talk to the skeleton while I have a word with our Lipton listeners about one secret of success. You know, folks, when a Hollywood actress climbs up to stardom, it's usually because there's something different about her personality. And that's true of other success stories. Lipton Tea, for example, is the largest selling brand of tea in the world because it's different from other teas. Lipton's has that wonderful hearty flavor the tea experts call brisk, which means it's bright and zestful in taste, never wishy-washy or flat. Now, don't take my word for it. Compare Lipton's to other teas yourself. That's the real way to discover Lipton's rich, full flavor, Lipton's extra flavor that brings you all the goodness of a superb tea. It's full-bodied and satisfying, with a smooth, mellow tang that brings you real enjoyment. So pour yourself a cup of Lipton tea, folks, and then see for yourself what a difference that brisk flavor makes. That's fine, Mary, but quietly, my dear. Why the whisper, mister? Don't make too much noise or you'll wake the dead. And we don't want to do that because tonight's story is called The Undead. It's an original radio play by Milton Lewis. Yes, and our star tonight is Anne Seymour, who plays the role of Diana. I was alone, here in the penthouse, sleeping. The doors leading to the terrace were open. Suddenly, I was awakened by a queer, whirring noise that sounded like the flapping of wings. I opened my eyes. Moonlight filled the room. It was one of those clear, cloudless nights. But the winds moaned and howled like weeping women. Somewhere, a dog howled. I sat up, peered into the green light of the moon. See nothing at first. I lay down again. My eyes were half closed. And I heard it again. The sound of wings beating on the air. I told myself it was nothing. 
until out of the queer green shadows that surrounded me like a mist, I saw a pair of blood-red eyes close to my face. No, they weren't human eyes. They were rimmed with green. They glittered like glass in the dark. I looked closer. Too frightened to move. Too terrified to cry out. The thing that seemed to be flying round my head looked like a bat. Said it wasn't a bat. Suddenly it floated down. I felt soft fur on my neck. Then my throat was pierced with a sharp, terrible pain. I started screaming. Let me go. Let me go. Richard, where are you, Richard? Richard! Go on, Diana. When I felt your arms around me, I knew I was safe, Richard. But it, it was the most horrible dream I ever had. Yes, I know, I know, darling. You were hysterical. What do you think it meant? Well, nothing. Nothing, of course, dear. Everyone has nightmares like that sometime, rather. But it was so vivid. I could almost swear it happened just as I told it to you. Oh, Diana, do you really believe you've encountered a vampire? I know it. Sounds ridiculous, darling. Listen, baby, you're living in New York City on top of an 18-story building. This is 1945, not the Middle Ages. Well, the whole notion is just rubbish. I tried to tell myself it was nonsense, too. But somehow... Oh, Richard, I want to get out of this place. But why? I don't like this apartment. There's something evil, sinister here. I've, I've always felt it. And listen. And listen to that wind. The wind howl around here all the time. Well, naturally, it's a penthouse, and it catches the winds from the river. Do you hear that? Something flapping on the terrace. That's just the awning. Yes. There are always queer noises around here, all the time, and I, I can't bear it being alone here at night. Richard, please, please don't let me stay here alone tonight. I can't stay with you, darling. I've got to go to the theater. I don't want you to go there, please. Let, let your understudy take the part tonight. Take me away from here, far away where it's warm and there's sunlight. Diana, you don't know what you're saying, dear. I can't give up my part in the show. Of course. Of course. On... Darling, forgive me, please. I'm, I'm sorry I ever mentioned it. You do forgive me, don't you, Richard? Say you do. Why, of course. You're just upset over this silly dream. I know, I know. I, I won't mention it again. You're okay, baby. Well, it's ten to eight. I'd better get going. Want to come with me? Yes. No. Well, I'm going to stay here. But if this place frightens you... That's just why I'm going to stay. And alone. I'm going to beat this thing. Somehow. That's better, darling. Much better. Here's your coat. Right. And you'd better take your scarf. It, it feels chilly. Richard. Hmm? I said I won't mention it again, but there's one thing more I have to tell you. that The face of that thing in my dream. It was your face. Diana, in the name of I won't heaven. talk of it anymore. I promise you, darling. I, I didn't mean to upset you just before you went to the theater. Just, just kiss me, dear. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Diana. An idea. I'll be waiting when you get back. It was just midnight. Two nights later. I was waiting for Richard to come home from the theater. I was going through his desk looking for a postage stamp. And I found something that turned my blood to ice. It was a newspaper clipping dated ten years ago. The picture of a man. And under it, the caption, Prominent real estate operator Richard Barker. Found dead of a sudden stroke. I looked at the picture again. 
There could be no doubt of it. It was Richard. I read further. The deceased will be buried at Woodlawn, Greenlawn Cemetery after services in the Westland Funeral Chapel. Good evening, Diane. Richard. Why, what's the matter? You seem startled. I... I didn't hear you come in. Have you been brooding again? No, Richard. Of course not. How do you feel tonight? Not... Not very well. Weak? Weak. Sleepy. Ill. Well, no wonder you've hardly been eating a thing. And I know that you never catch a wink of sleep. I told you I can't sleep in the daytime as you do. As you do. Why are you staring at me like that? Why? Why do you sleep in the daytime? I've been doing it for years. Years? What's so terrible about that? Most theatrical people do. We live and work at night. Yes. Yes, I know. Really, Diana, what is the matter with you? Nothing. You you think I'm losing my mind? Well, I don't know what to think. Why are you pretending? Pretending what? That you're something other than what you are. Because I know what you are, Richard. Really? I found out. This clipping I found in your desk, it it tells how you died. That clipping? Oh, that. Why are you laughing? <laughs> well, you see, it's a joke. It's a gag. One of my pictures was sent to the papers, publicity for a new play, you know. And a drunken typester put it in the obituary column. It's quite an amusing story. I don't believe you. You're lying. Listen, you can't go on like no, this. No, don't, don't touch me. You're not well, darling. Get your hands away from me. But I just want to kiss no, you. No, no, don't, don't, don't touch me. Diana, where are you going? Out of here. Diana, come back. I'll come back when I've proved something to myself. <laughs> Ma'am. I'm sorry to wake you up. Uh, are you the caretaker here at Greenlawn? Many years, ma'am. I uh, I want to see the grave of Richard Barker. Who are you? Diana Barker. His wife. But it's one in the morning, Mrs. Barker. I know what time it is. I I want to see the grave. Hmm. No one comes at a time like this. Please, will you tell me? Perhaps this will help. And Alice. For disturbing you. All right. You take the path from back of my house. Turn to the right. Have you flashed I brought one from the car. It's only a short way, but it isn't a grave, ma'am. It, uh, it's sort of a tomb. Thank you. I'll find it. You, you want me to come with you? No, I've uh, troubled you enough. Good night. Good night. Somewhere, an owl was howling. As though warning me not to go on with this insane adventure. But I knew I had to continue. I had to be certain. I followed his directions along the path of the cemetery. The moon poked yellow fingers through scudding clouds as though showing me the way. I was frightened. Terrified. There's nothing to fear from the dead. I kept telling myself I had to keep up my courage. The dead. Perhaps they were right. There was nothing to fear from them. But the undead. It was a tomb. The inscription was clear. Here lies Richard Barker, born May 7th, 1890. Died September 4th, 1935. There was a lock on the door. It was old and rusty. 
I'd come this far. I made up my mind. I picked up a stone. Smashed the lock. I opened the door. Blackness. Inky blackness, such as one imagines one would see at the end of the world. Turned on the flashlight I took from the car. Coffin was lying in the center of the tomb on an altar. I felt my heart beating wildly, like a throbbing drum inside me. With a trembling hand, I opened the coffin. I looked down on a ghastly white satin lining. That was all there was in the coffin. There was nothing else. It was empty. I looked up. There was a face staring at me in the shadows of the tomb. It was Richard. Diana, I knew you'd come here. That just goes to show that an empty coffin makes the most noise. <laughs> you know, this is the kind of nice domestic story I like. The intimate family chronicle of a vampire. My goodness, is that what you call intimate family life? Of course, Mary. It looks like our lovebirds will even share the same coffin. <laughs> I'm afraid you're drawing a very strange picture of family life, Mr. Holst. Now, I always picture the family gathered around the dinner table. Everybody's laughing and happy. The bright lights push back the shadows of evening outside and shine on the teacups, where Lipton tea is waiting to add to the family's mealtime pleasure. Lipton's brisk flavor will make that good meal taste even better. Everyone around the table, from junior to grandfather, will enjoy its tempting fragrance, its deep amber color, and that brisk flavor that makes Lipton's different from other teas. They'll all like its full-bodied, hearty goodness and the zestful tang of Lipton's flavor. So serve Lipton tea for dinner at your house, folks, and round out the family picture with real enjoyment. Right, Mary. And now let's go back to our horrors. Let me see. What dire predicament are we in tonight? Oh, yes. Diana has just discovered that her husband was wandering around his tomb. What would you do in a situation like that? Here's what Diana did. Listen. I ran blindly, stumbling, tearing my clothes. Somehow I managed to reach the car, stop the car. In the car, I knew it wasn't all some dream. People didn't come back from the bed. Did they? Could they? I drove to the city. I wanted to see the lights, people, hear music. I wanted to be sure this was the world I'd always known. I tried to reason. I, I tried to understand what had happened to me. Because I knew something was happening to me. Something that I dreaded. I was becoming like... Like them. Like Richard. I felt strange craving. Desires that I didn't... Dad, think of. Excuse me, Mrs. Barker. Oh. 
May I sit with you? I... I don't believe I know you. Perhaps not. Does it make any difference? No. No, it doesn't. Please, sit down. Thank you. I'm glad you came over. I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk to anyone tonight. I've been watching you for the last ten minutes. Have you? You look very strange tonight. How do you know me? We all know each other. We? Yes. You realize you'll be dead soon. Dead? At least what they call dead. You... You know what's happened? Oh, yes, of course. I've seen it happening for weeks. Your face became paler and paler. It will not be long now. You will become one of us. I don't want to. It's not in your hands. It, it isn't true. It, it can't be true. It's quite true. Many of us have gone on for hundreds of years. Those who sustain us become like us. And I... There is no escape. No. I don't believe it. Don't you feel it? Blood. That strange desire... Yes. There. You see? I don't want to. I once tried to fight it, too. It's no use. I'm going away. Far away. So he can't reach me. I'm going now and no one can reach me. Waiter. Waiter. Will you help me here? There's been an accident. Everything is going to be all right, Diana. Just lie here and rest quietly. You're in your own home. I opened my eyes and saw Claudia, my older sister. Never was so glad to see anyone in all my life. Claudia had always helped me, always advised me. She'd know what to do. You want something to eat? No, I'm not hungry. But the doctor said you'd have to eat. How did I get here? You collapsed in the cocktail lounge. They brought you home. When? Last night. It's dark out. You've been sleeping almost 24 hours. Where's Richard? At the theater. Poor boy, he was so worried about you. Was he? He sent for me. I've been with you since last night. Donna, what happened? It, it's terribly difficult to explain. I I sometimes think I'm losing my mind. I'd, I'd be sure that's what it is if I, if I hadn't found out differently. Tell me about it. I, I found out Richard is dead. He's been dead for 10 years. What? What are you talking about? Sue, Claudia. I went to Greenlaw and I saw his tomb. I opened it and the coffin was empty. Diana. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not insane. He never sleeps at night. Now I feel this strange craving. Claudia, don't steal You know what you're saying. Yes, I know it sounds wild, fantastic, but I, I haven't told this to anyone, but it's true. There are things in this world you only think are primitive superstitions, but... Claudia, you must believe me. Yes, of course, I believe you, dear. We must destroy Richard. I've read about those things. We must destroy him by driving a wooden stake through his heart. That's the only way I can escape from him. That's the only way I can become a human being. Diana. You, you'll help me, Claudia. Of course, dear. Haven't I always helped you? Where are you going? Just to fix you something. To no. No, you're going to leave me. Leave me here alone with him. I won't let you do that, Claudia. That, that gun. Where did you get that gun? We've always had one here. Ever since I first told Richard I was afraid of this place. You're not going to leave me alone now, Claudia. I'm not going to let you. Of course not. Get away from that door. That's what you want. Claudia, come back. No. No, you're insane. She was gone. Insane. She was so sure I was insane, she didn't even give me a chance to explain. I was alone in the house. I felt 
terribly weak. I wanted to sleep. I wanted to sleep forever and ever. But I knew if I lay down and closed my eyes, I might never open them again. Never open them and see the world as you or I used to. I'd... I'd be something else. I looked at the clock. Almost midnight. Richard would be coming back any minute. I ran to the door, locked it from the inside of the safety bolt. What to do? What to do? Please, I ran to the telephone. Operator. Hello, operator. Get me the police and hurry, please. One moment, please. Hurry, will you? This is a matter of life and death. Hello, are you ringing them? Police department. Sergeant Kilway talking. Hello, police. You've got to help me. Yes, what is it, please? My husband, he's going to do something to me tonight. He's going to make me what he is. Uh, what's that, lady? He's been dead for ten years. I saw his empty coffin. That's proof, isn't it? That's evidence. You always want evidence, and there it is. Now do you understand? Well, I'm, I'm not sure I do, lady. Well, what's your name? Diana Barker. Well, all right, all right, all right. Now, calm down. Tell me where you live. I live... Oh, you think I'm insane, too, don't you? I didn't say it. You think I'm crazy, just as Claudia does. If, if you'll just give me the address, lady. Oh, what's the use? Please, lady. No one believes it. I know I'm not insane. I know it, and yet... What's that? His key in the lock. He can't open it. It's bolted from the inside. He's trying to get in. But he can't. Not with that bolt. I won't open it. I won't... I'll just pretend I don't hear it. I'll cover my ears with my hands and I won't hear it. He can't get in here. If I can keep him out until daylight, I'll be safe. Safe. <laughs> Suddenly, the doorbell stopped. I knew he hadn't gone away. I could feel him near me. But he couldn't get in. No, he couldn't get into the penthouse. There was no way to get in unless he came through the terrace. And there was no way to get on the terrace unless he could Fly. Fly. The wind was screaming. When I turned to look at the French doors leading to the terrace, it was impossible. He couldn't. And yet, he couldn't. And yet, the doors burst open. The wind blew through the house like a cyclone. The air framed in the double doors. Sir Richard! Why didn't you let me in? How, how did you get out of the terrace? Never mind. What are you doing with that gun? Don't come near me, Richard. Diana? Go away. Go away and leave me alone. Give me that gun. No. I'm warning you, Diana. You'd better give it to me. If you take another step toward me, I'll fire. Diana? You see? The bullet. They didn't harm you. No. But I didn't miss. No. Empty. You see? It didn't do any good. What are you going to do? I'm going to put an end to this once and for all, Diana. An end? And I've prepared for this. I have a knife. You see? I can't. Don't be afraid, Diana. You won't quite die. No, no, don't. Come here, Diana. No, Richard, no. You're no. making too much trouble while you're alive. No. Help me, Robin! They're going me! No. I saw the knife over my throat. I beat at his chest with the empty pistol. Then, just before everything became black, I saw three flashes of lightning. Go on, Mrs. Barker. When I woke up in the hospital, Inspector, I couldn't believe that I was still alive. It, it seemed like a miracle. You would have been dead if it wasn't for your sister. Claudia. She came back with one of our men. 
He shot and killed your husband just as he was about to plunge the dagger into you. But how did he get in? He came over the adjoining terrace from the penthouse next door, just as your husband did. No, Mrs. Barker. Your husband didn't fly. But the other things, the, the picture, the tomb, the, the empty coffin. All props for an elaborate scheme your husband worked out to murder you. Richard Bark is not an uncommon name. He found a man with that name who died ten years ago. He removed the body. He got the whole idea from the dream you told him. But why? To establish that you were insane. Oh. He planned to murder you. And claim he did it in self-defense to protect himself against an insane woman. But the gun... Filled with blanks. He wanted to get your money, Mrs. Bark. But the, the way I felt, those strange cravings... You're suffering from anemia. The doctor told us that. It's not uncommon for anemia sufferers to feel the way you did. I still can't believe it. I I still feel that he isn't quite dead. I'll relieve that fear right now. His body's in the other room. I think you should see it. Come this way, Mrs. Bach. There. Raise the lid of the coffin, Charlie. Yes, Inspector. <sighs> What's the matter? He, he looks so lifelike. His lips are... So ready. He looks as though he could move. Get up at any minute. Nonsense. I assure you he's quite dead, Mrs. Barker. And I can further assure you that the police department has never encountered one authentic vampire in its history. You're, you're very reassuring, Inspector. I think I'd better leave now. Don't bother to see me to the door. Right. All right, Charlie. Cover him up and have him buried. Okay, Inspector. I... Well... What is it, Charlie? Inspector. Maybe I'm nuts, but I, I... I could swear that I saw him move. Oh, nonsense. Close the lid. Uh, it's getting dark, Charlie. Sun sure goes down quick these winter days. I'm going home. Good night, Charlie. Richard is really dead. Oh, that's something for you to sleep on when you go to bed tonight. <laughs> oh, and by the way, we have a moral for tonight's story. Yes, it's taken from a diary of Miss Delirium Tremens, who once said, Never marry a vampire. He may turn out to be 500 years old without a social security number to his name. How can a girl have any fun going around with a guy like that? Well, Mr. Host, I don't think that's a serious problem. I'm positive that no girl will ever meet a vampire, much less marry one. Ah, but you can't be sure, Mary. The safest thing is to drive a wooden stake through your husband's heart. Yes, if he dies, then he must be a vampire. Oh, such a foolish. <laughs> Let's forget all this talk about vampires, because I want to tell the folks about something wonderful that's going to happen next week. And next Tuesday's Christmas, you know. So instead of our usual mystery thriller, Inner Sanctum will bring you a tender and beautiful Christmas play called The Littlest Angel. And our star will be that great and beloved actress, Helen Hayes. There's a lovely musical score specially written for The Littlest Angel. And the play is one your whole family will enjoy, especially the youngsters. Perfect entertainment for Christmas night. And of course, you won't want to miss Miss Helen Hayes' performance. 
So be sure to tune into this station at the regular Inner Sanctum time next week. I promise you, The Littlest Angel, starring Helen Hayes, and brought to you by the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup, will be the crowning pleasure of your Christmas day. That sounds great, Mary. You know, Christmas is really wonderful. There's something about it that gets even the most hardened characters. Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is The Fearful Passage by H.C. Branson. And don't forget what Mary tells you, friends. Next week, we'll bring you in a Sanctum special Christmas program, directed by Hyman Brown and starring Helen Hayes, America's first lady of the theater. There'll be no gore, no chills. Not even one little murder, believe it or not. The holiday spirit is getting even us. So be sure to join us next Tuesday. Meanwhile, I'm going to do my Christmas shopping. You know where I can get a nice fur-lined coffin for a cold-blooded friend? <laughs> Until next Tuesday, then. Good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Folks, these busy days, we all want to save time when we prepare meals, and yet we don't want to sacrifice that good homemade taste. Well, that's just the time to serve Lipton's noodle soup. Lipton's has a real fresh-cooked chickeny flavor. It tastes like the chicken noodle soup you'd make right in your own kitchen, and yet it takes almost no time at all to prepare. And Lipton's is economical, too. It costs less and makes lots more than canned soup. So don't forget to try Lipton's Noodle Soup Mix. And remember to tune in next Tuesday night for Inner Sanctum's special Christmas show with Helen Hayes. Dark locks in. <gasps> Nightfall. Good evening. Tonight, we'll be a little more literate than usual to give you the inside story of a manuscript they're just dying to get into print. The play from the pen of Maver Moore is called The Book of Hell. I don't care if it's the deepest book since Kafka, Andy. It still won't sell. I had hoped for more important considerations than sales. There isn't a publisher in the country who'd touch it. But Gordon... The book industry's broke, for God's sake. We're putting chicory in the office coffee. Surely it would sell a few thousand. Violent sells. Sex. Weird religion. Put them together and you clean up. Clean up? Odd expression for publishing garbage. Yeah, find it all in the Bible. In Dante and Shakespeare, I know. 
So get your academic ass off that high horse. I'm talking about a highly relevant piece of work, Gordon. A penetrating look at Western society that warns us where we're headed. I, I can tell you where Linda you're headed. Please with me that it's the most. Out. You want to work here? You work to my rules, Professor. Or you go back to the cloister you came from. Oh. Sure, Gordon, sure. But you are losing one of the most remarkable manuscripts. Editors that... are for editing. Presidents are for calling the shots. Now you and Linda better get that straight. Andy? God, have I got something for oh, us? Oh, hi, Linda. Just let me get my caffeine chaser. Another clobbering by the boss. I am flying. Listen, last night... And let me brace myself. All right, what happened? I got a manuscript from A.J. Yanofsky. Want a coffee? Love some. One coffee, black as Gordon's soul. Thanks. I read it last night. Andrew, you would not believe. I didn't know Yanofsky was still alive. Hibernating in Mexico. Uh, long winter. Twelve years. Uh, there were rumors, right? Uh -huh. He was on the lamb from the drug squad? No, um, he was murdered. No, he murdered someone. Uh, he's a Nazi doctor, and he's the bastard son oh. of Greta Garbo. Who cares? He's a great writer. Oh, Linda. A.J. Yanofsky was strictly a 60s phenomenon. Who needs that stuff now, all that uh, stream of subconsciousness crap? That's my time you're knocking, Curly. I was there. And if he has started writing again, why would he send the manuscript to you? Because, uh, I, I knew him. Yeah, like we met. Hung around in Haight-Ashbury. Oh, cute little California flower children. He told me once, Linda, I'm going to write the book of hell. I'll send it to you. And 15 years later, he did. Yeah. An incredible work. A, a sort of documentary editor. First-person stuff. You mean a rewrite of Dante's Inferno. Dante had a theological wet dream, for God's oh. sake. <laughs> Yanovsky is, is hard-edged, relentless. Yeah, great stuff. Sex, violence, and weird religion ought to make a mint. Now, now. Oh, Gordon will love it. I want to get Yanofsky on the phone right away. Put them together and you clean up. Too bad about A.J. He used to be honest, at least. Andrew, you're starting to bore me. Get useful. Here's the number. Put it through for me while I check the mail, huh? Is this number his agent? No, his home in Mexico. The manuscript didn't come from an agent. Use the phone in my office. Hello. Little diversion helps put in the day. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'll be promoted to Linda's assistant faster than I thought. Hello. Uh, may I speak to Mr. Yanofsky, please? Tell him who wants to speak to him. He won't talk to just anybody. Oh, thanks a lot. Uh, I beg your pardon? Tell him Linda Ross. Uh, I see. No, there, there isn't. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Let me talk. What the hell are you doing? That was his wife. Why'd you hang up? A.J. Yanofsky died two years ago.
Si, senores. Yes, ladies, may I serve you? I'll just have a black coffee, please. Dos cafés solo, por favor. Dos cafés solo. Very good, ladies. The coffee is just... I hope you are enjoying Mexico, Miss Ross. I am, thank you. Mrs. Yanofsky, I'm a direct person. Good. So am I. Sorry if I seem to pry, but I must know. How did your husband die? He was eaten away, Miss Ross, from the inside. When there was more outside than inside, he died in my arms, like kindling wood. And you told no one? The doctor, the undertaker. It was his wish. He wanted to keep the mystery. And I have kept it. You must have loved him very much. He needed me. Others may have needed him. I guess I was one of those once. It means nothing. Except for a man's vanity. But vanity, you know, means things that are in vain. At the end, he had only me. Yes. I wanted to ask you, did he leave any other papers? Any notes or sketches? That was all he left. Pieces. He became unable to... He could not put anything together. The drugs, you know. Were they sketches for some particular work, or...? Oh, no. <laughs> Whatever came into his head. May I see them later? <laughs> There's nothing to see. All burnt. He told me, burn them. Those coffees so long. Uh, you like something to eat, senores, ladies? Estoy al régimen, senor. Que bonito, senora. So there was no book? No book. But the typing. You said you recognized his machine. Mm. All typewriters have scars on some of the letters. He's had a crooked O. Like fingerprints. The manuscript is from my husband's typewriter. Then we're getting warmer, surely. <laughs> but I sold it. I sell everything, so... Who knows what writer is using it now? But the handwriting, the corrections, the signature on a letter. Could those be faked? What do you want me to say? That he came back from the dead? <sighs> no, I can't easily believe it. The dead do not rise again. There are mediums who say that they can take dictation from the spirit world. Have you experienced... They take the credit, no? Forgive me, but such people work for money. If the Book of Hell gets published, Mrs. Yanofsky, the money will come to you. Would you object to that? I would not personally object, no. But that book will never be published. Oh? You'd object on behalf of your husband? <laughs> Why should I? Obviously, he is trying to get it published. Do you really believe that? I believe only that life is mysterious. 
Why do you think the Book of Hell... It will never be published. Because it is probably true. I don't like the typeface, Pete. And the paper stock looks flimsy. <laughs> you get what you pay for, Gordon. You used to make better-looking books. And you used to have a better class of writers. You want to upgrade the materials? Fine. But I'll have to upgrade the price. And we both know I can't afford it. <laughs> Buckram binding. A thing of the past. Now it's paperbacks run off a newsprint. Mm. We go back a long way, Pete. Yeah, sure do. My old man was your dad's printer. I, um... I hate asking for credit, Pete, but, uh... I'm in a bit of a jam. Could you carry me for six months? Sure, Gordon. No sweat. All I need is one bestseller. Paperback rights in six figures. Maybe a film option. Yep. Just one blockbuster. Where are you going to find it, Gordon? Gordon? What do you want, Andy? Alinda just phoned from New York. Yeah? Not a single major publisher has been offered a Yanofsky manuscript in 12 years. What? How many people know about the Book of Hell? You and me and Linda. None of the secretaries? I don't think so. No letters, no calls. Where's the manuscript now? Did she leave it with you? And no. We took it with her. Just ran out, flagged a cab, and took her chances. Well, the minute she gets back, have a photocopy made. No, you better make it yourself. We can't take chances. Gordon... You sound as if you're going to buy it, and you haven't even read it. Well, you haven't read it either. Why so superior? Well, the notion of a real hell went out with the Flat Earth Society. Even the church calls it a figure of speech. We'd be the laughingstock of the scientific community. Weird religion makes lots of money, remember? Oh, I just don't follow you. You turn down a major work on the human condition and latch onto a hokey piece of pulp about hell. I have an open mind. You've got an open cash register. Is anybody in a position to sue us? What? Sue? Could anyone stand up in court and call the writer a liar? Call the whole thing a hoax? If that's all that matters to you. Now me. listen. Nobody's to find out about this book. No one. When Linda gets back tomorrow, it's not to be discussed in this office. Why the massive security? We'll meet at my place, or on a park bench if we have to, but not here. Yanofsky lived his whole life in secrecy. Enhanced his charisma, I and guess. secrecy, without the media messing things up, can buy us three months' lead time. The Book of Hell just might be our salvation. I keep telling you, Gordon, Yanofsky's wife doesn't want a contract. She's not a businesswoman. A businesswoman, for God's sake, is a contradiction in terms. She's his executor, isn't she? He didn't leave the book. It's just been written. Oh, sure. Smuggled out of hell in a diplomatic pouch. I can only tell you that's what Mrs. Yanofsky believes. Well, that settles one thing. I don't have to pay any royalties. 
If there's no copyright, we could even rewrite the damn thing. What? Fake the fake. Not when you've read it, Gordon, you won't. I'm trying to get my hands on it. Where's Andy with that bloody Xerox? You should be back any minute from the office. I want to read it at home tonight. If this is a fake, it may be harder to explain a hoax than... I mean, there... There are forces beyond... Oh, I don't know what I mean. So I gather. His wife made it all seem completely mysterious. Am I getting you straight? Oh, I need to get away from... To get some perspective. All this documentary eyewitness stuff? You trying to tell me there are pens and typewriters in hell? And paper that doesn't burn? And a post office? The post office even you could believe. Yeah, it's probably the model for our mail service. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, Gordon is that the usual marks of a fake are just not there. The Book of Hell isn't even a copy of Yanofsky's old style. What about the detective stuff, the, the machine? Sure, it's his old typewriter, but God knows who might have picked it up in a flea market. And the handwriting. How could a phony have forged it so meticulously, and why? Forgery is even less likely than... Oh, come than... on, Linda. Feminine fantasy isn't going to solve oh, anything. Oh, bull. So let's be logical. Either Yanofsky's still alive... I've told you, he died in his wife's arms. Or he's dead, she says. Were there any witnesses? I've seen the grave. You didn't dig him up, though? No, I didn't dig him up. Then it's unproven, as the Scots say. But as I started to say, either he's still alive, or it's got to be a fake. Gordon! Oh, here he comes like Roger Bannister. Andy, don't drop that briefcase. <laughs> Listen, I've been all around the park three times. Mm. Let's synchronize directions next time. Sure, sure, sure. Meanwhile, I just want to read the damn manuscript before I bet my life on it. You got the Xerox? Listen, I couldn't. I, Give I, me the briefcase, Andy. But this is the original. Where's the copy, for God's sake? I'm trying to tell you. It won't Xerox. What are you talking about? I tried it on three different machines, and there's something weird. Uh, the sheets all come out blank. Their knowledge of human anatomy is so complete that the worst tortures on earth cannot compare with the exquisite pain they inflict. That's enough. Okay, okay play it back, Andy. Check the machine again. There's got to be an answer. Yeah, I'll test it again. One, two, three, Apple Baker Charlie. Testing. One, two, three, Apple Baker Charlie. Testing. The Book of Hell won't photograph. And it won't record. Where does that leave us? The ink could be a chemical gimmick. Wouldn't Xerox, but it's your voice reading, Linda. I didn't take either. Yeah. So the mystery's in Yanofsky's words. There are uh, more things in heaven and earth. Oh, the scholarship, Professor. Maybe if we tried again. We came all the way out to my place to read the book of hell, so let's get on with it. Copies or no copies. Pick up where you left off, Linda. The use of microorganisms, first to stimulate the frontal cortex of the brain, then to frustrate neurohormonal responses, 
sets up an alternating swing between hope and despair. One group of microbes arouses expectation in the control center, while another renders the receptor muscles unable to comply. These positive and negative forces locked inside care no more about their battleground than ravaging armies on Earth. You are, I am, their Hiroshima. On my second day in Ward 7... Go on. What hideous torture. Get yourself another whiskey. Go on, Linda. On my second day in Ward 7, they began the injections. The first injection induced a high far beyond any I had ever experienced on Earth. It was as if I were being carried to the top of a demonic roller coaster and forced to look far below at the twisting track of terrors. The second injection plunged me down into an abyss. I thought frantically of escape, only to realize what a trap I was caught in. There was no escape from this insane cross-wiring. I was my own torturer. Shall I go on? Makes a crazy kind of sense. Like a report from a madhouse. He took it on his own terms if you can accept them. A, a day, for example, is his metaphor. Metaphors you play with in our world. Look, all he does is talk about physical suffering, mental suffering. Exactly. In hell, you don't have a body or a mind. For God's sake, you have a soul, a lost one. How do you know, Gordon? You're getting awfully metaphysical. Well, to come back down to earth, I know when I hear a stoned nut describing hell from his hacienda in Mexico, he's got one hell of an imagination, that's all. That is not all, Gordon. Dig deeper. If he's got a body and a mind, he's not dead. And the last time I heard, you had to be dead to go to hell. For what it's worth, he explains that. Well, I, for one, can't wait to hear it. I was then confined in a small cubicle made of what appeared to be mirrors. Though I knew I was dead, the excruciating pain contradicted me. Yet search as I might in the mirrors, there was nothing there. Thus, they drive home their most chilling lesson in damnation. If we do not exist, we must invent ourselves. With no body or mind left to torture, the soul must torture itself by recreating body and mind out of remembered fragments. I was to program my own inferno. Good God. Well, he certainly lost his mind. Listen. In effect, my soul was a monstrous cancer, continually creating within itself the means of my destruction. A lost soul is one that no longer controls its own circuitry. The signal apparatus has been taken over by the enemy, which uses it to destroy me, to destroy you. The sensation is like spontaneous combustion. Ah, I oh. should have taken it off the hook. Oh, let it ring. And you take a message, would you? And leave it off the hook? Yeah, okay, okay, I'll get it. Go on, Linda. Go on. It is this control of the circuitry, this ability to send phantom signals to real bodies through their remembered images, like pins stuck in a doll, that gives hell its power on Earth. 
Hell is not a place, but a system for disrupting the plans of God. Gordon, that was the police. Our warehouse just went up in flames. You'll never get near it, Mr. McIntosh. Can you save anything? Uh, what isn't already burned will be soaked. Now get that ladder out of there, over to the right. My whole life's work. What a bloody mess. At least we moved the office downtown. Didn't lose everything. Well, what can we do without stock? Well, there are books to sell. Well, there's insurance, isn't there? Insurance. Andy, that's hardly a consolation. Don't push your luck, Andy. I've been pushing mine. Reader in the other way. Let's go. Captain? Yes, Mr. McIntosh. Anything I can do for you? Any idea what started it? Well, a little early to tell. Uh, faulty wiring, maybe. No way. Completely rewired last year. Any sign of arson, Captain? Well, not so far, but that's unofficial. There has to be a cause. Books, you know, uh, soak up moisture. Uh, then heat sometimes. Uh, could have been spontaneous combustion, uh, an act of God. Gordon, you still want to go ahead with the Book of Hell? I don't know. What else have we got to push? Half a dozen books in the fall list that just might ease us gracefully downhill to bankruptcy. Why should we give up on the one sensational manuscript that might get us back in the race? You still think the warehouse fire was a coincidence? Linda, you are a lovely lady, an intelligent person, and a great editor. In that order? But you will never make me believe in ghosts. Gordon, you're beginning to protest too much. Extrasensory perception might be okay if we completely explored the five senses we already know about. You need a license to For preach God's in this sake, park, don't you know? try to convert me to diabolism. Obviously, the Book of Hell didn't do that. Not what I've heard so far. I'm the only one who never gets to read it through. Where is it now? Locked in my office. Well, let's keep it there. So long as I'm legally clear as publisher, I don't give a damn who wrote it or where it came from. We sort of gathered that. A production like this has to be played very carefully. <laughs> Kept under heavy wraps at just the right moment. And published with all the hype we can muster. And what about the cold, hard looks in retrospect? Backlash? Or maybe just knowing grins all over the media. By that time, we'll be heavily into foreign sales, translations, film rights, all bundle. Laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah, by then, even the fire will seem like a godsend, like a brilliant publicity stunt. Oh, Gordon, ever heard of hubris? Hubris is contempt for God, Professor. I am prepared to show a little contempt for the devil. That's all very daring, Gordon. But how are you going to print a facsimile of the Book of Hell if it won't photograph? That reminds me. Gotta get back to the office and talk to Pete. He'll have to set the whole manuscript in type. When it's finally on press, I just hope it'll print. Sure, Gordon. I don't see why not. If you got trouble getting photostats, we could set linotype and run it off letterpress. Well, just have to work out the costs. Right, hold on a sec. Hey, Bill! 
What's that Crichton doing on the conveyor belt? It'll wreck the whole run. You guys want to go somewhere for a cup of coffee? Oh, I hate chicory. And I hate funerals. He didn't have to go to his funeral, did you? I felt responsible somehow. You? What about me? The Book of Hell hadn't been sent to me in the well, first place. I doubt both of you. It's nobody's fault. These things happen. Something just comes up with your number on it. So, what do we do now? Well, we can get another printer. It's just a matter of booking press time. Not if word of the book gets out. No one would touch it with a ten-foot pole. They'd say it was jinxed. I hate to rub it in, but I was against it from the start. Come on, Andy. You're blue hot and cold the whole time. Yeah, I was skeptical at first, sure, but when drastic things began to Where happen... Where is I... the book of hell? Is it still locked up in your office, Linda? It's in my briefcase. Gordon, I want you... to see it. Gordon, please, I've got let... to make the decision back at the office. I haven't had the damn book in my hands yet. My guest, Gordon. The Book of Hell by A.J. Yanofsky. Thanks. Now, let's see what a monstrous fake feels like. Huh. Huh. Some sort of... sort of... smell. Musty... Accurate. Good luck. destroyed? Because Yanofsky dared to write it. Can you imagine the ghastly things they'll do to him now? Linda, we've both read the Book of Hell. We're the only ones who know. What will they do to us? again the immortal tale, The Werewolf.
there, don't be frightened. It's only our neighbor's dog baying at the moon. Go to sleep. You are safe here with my husband and me. Where are you, good wife? Here. Shh. The boy is trying to sleep. What news of his father? Peace to his soul. He was raving mad by the time I got him to the hospital. It was brain fever. How's the boy? Poor little lad. He says they walked all the way from the Hartz Mountains. And he's only 11. He was starved. Ate his supper as if he'd never seen food. Oh, there's tragedy back of all this, good wife. When the boy stopped me on the road and asked for help, there was terror in his eyes. Quiet, boy, quiet. Nothing to fear. You are safe here by the sea. There are no wolves here. Just lie quietly, boy. I want to talk to you. Yes, sir. By what name are you called? Herman. Herman Kant. Well, Herman, I'm afraid I have sad news for you. My father is dead? Yes. That is not sad news. I thank heaven. What? Why? Because, because my father is free of the evil one and his curse. Now there's only me. But I must go. I must hurry. I must get far away from the forest and the mountains. Oh, lie back, child. Wait a bit. There are no mountains or forests here, only the calm sea. What do you fear, Herman? Let me sit beside you. Don't be afraid. You... You kissed me. Is that so strange? Oh, it is very strange. You're kind and good, and, and yet you are a woman. Poor motherless little one. Oh. It might help you lose some of your fears, boy, if you told us something about yourself. You were born in the Hartz Mountains? No, mynheer. We lived in Hungary on the state of a great noble. My father was steward. And what about your mother? She ran away from us when we were very small. My brother Caesar said it was because of her that my father killed his noble lord. Oh, I see. Now go on with your tale. Father took all the money we owned and put us in the sleigh. We drove fast and far until we were out of Hungary. Then he bought a cottage among the tall firs, deep in the Hartz Mountains. And there we grew up. Your brother and you. And our little sister, Marcella. We loved her very much. Weren't you very lonely? Oh, the winters were long and dark. Father went hunting every day, but shut us indoors for safety from the wolves. He also forbade us to light the fire, so we used to creep under heaps of bear skins to keep warm. We'd talk of that happy time when the, when the snow would melt, the leaves burst out, the birds sing again, and we could go outdoors and play in our garden. Mm, a sad life for children. No, not sad. We were happy with each other, we three. Until... Yes, Herman, until... The howl of wolf... Father had come from his hunting and had kindled a fire. 
and we were sitting around it when suddenly a wolf howled close under the window. My father seized his gun, looked to the priming, and ran out, shutting the door behind him. We waited hours, and it was nearly midnight when my brother Caesar went to the door. I've heard no report of a gun. Father must have chased the wolf a long way. Or else... Oh, no! Father's all right, Marcella. I will look out and see if he's coming. Take care, Caesar. The wolves may be close and we cannot kill them. I'll be careful. Hmm. I see nothing but moonlight and snow. Come in, Caesar. Father will come when he can. I'm hungry. We've had no supper, but we'll be punished if we do not wait. Father will be glad to have food ready. Let's cook it for him and for ourselves. Very well. I'll get down some venison. <laughs> but, Marcella, can you dress it? Surely. Haven't I often helped Father? Get the iron pot, Herman. There. I've cut off lots of slices. Now, put the fat in the pot. Oh, be careful of the fire, little sister. Look out the window, Herman. Someone's coming. It's Father. And there's a man with him leading a horse. Yes, and there's a lady in the saddle. See how the moon shines on her white face and that lovely flaxen hair. I'm frightened. Why, sister darling? She's beautiful. Hola! Hola! Caesar, open the door. We have guests. Enter, good sir. I have little to offer, but you and your daughter are welcome. Friend Hunter, it was good fortune for us that you were out so late. We had ridden far in fear of our lives. And we would have died of cold and hunger in those mountains had you not heard our horn and saved us. Come, mistress. Seat yourself by the fire. The warmth is pleasant. And the smell of food is pleasanter still. You have young cooks here, mynheer. <laughs> yes, these are my children. Caesar, Herman, and Marcella. Welcome, sir. We have supper already, Father. Before I eat, I must put up my horse. Oh, I will take care of him. Let me go with you. Oh, you needn't trouble. But if you like, come along. I have a shed outside. What fine boys you are. Come close to me. Mmm, good strong arm. Sturdy shoulder. Why do you tremble, lad? You are so white and shining. There's no reason to fear me. You're a stranger. I'm not strange. We shall be friends, hmm? But where's the little girl? She's afraid. I think she has hidden herself in bed. Gone to bed without any supper? <laughs> she must have been a bad little girl. She is not bad, lady. No, she's good. <laughs> You say you were lured away by a large white wolf which howled at this very window? Yes, I saw it about 30 yards off. The animal retreated slowly and I followed. I didn't like to fire until I was sure that my shot would take effect. A white wolf? Of course you were anxious to shoot such a very rare animal. The wolf would leave me far behind, then stop and snarl defiance at me, then start off at speed again as I neared it. It led me further and further up the mountain to an open space in the forest. There it stopped and growled. I raised my gun to shoot when suddenly the wolf disappeared. Disappeared? How strange. I thought the moonlight on the snow was playing me some trick. But no, she was gone. That's when I heard your horn. 
The creature passed us just as we came out of the woods into that blade. I nearly shot it myself. But since she led you to our rescue, I'm glad I let the wolf escape. Father, that open glade is the home of the evil ones. Evil ones? What does the boy mean? Oh, superstition has it that strange and wicked beings haunt these mountains. Oh, I must hear more of these legends. Evil spirits interest me. I confess I was glad to see that you were mortal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> My daughter, Christine, and I are just creatures of flesh and blood. <laughs> yes, I assure you, I'm only a woman with very human appetites. And right now, I... I have a great desire for sleep. My father made room for all of us, and we crept into our beds, but we couldn't sleep. Father and the strange hunter sat up all night before the fire, drinking and talking. Our ears were ready to catch the slightest whisper. You say you come from Hungary? Even so, mine herr. I served a noble house, but my master was cruel. It ended in my giving him a few inches of my hunting knife. So we fled for our lives. Why, well, we are countrymen then and brothers in misfortune. I too have fled for my life. Your name, man? Krantz. What? Krantz. I, I have heard your story. I am your kinsman, Wilfred of Bonsdorf. Well, a toast then to welcome you, cousin. You and your daughter must stay here as long as you choose. So the huntsman and his daughter, Christine, stayed on in the cottage. The two men hunted each day, and Christine stayed with us and did the household duties. Father was becoming very attentive to Christine. They would often sit up at night talking in low tones before the fire. Then, several weeks later, we learned that Father had asked Christine in marriage. You may take my child, Grunts, and my blessing with her. I will duly value her. There is no priest in this wild country. Well, there must be some ceremony between you to satisfy your father. Will you? Will you both consent that I marry you after my own fashion? I will. I will. Then take her by the hand and swear. I swear. By all the spirits of the heart's mountain. Nay. Nay, why not by heaven? Because it is not my humor. Surely you will not thwart me. Yes, but... Why swear by that in which I do not believe? Father, no, please don't marry her. Be still, Marcella. This is scarcely any affair of yours, child. Well, will you be married, or shall I take my daughter away with me? Proceed. Here is the oath writ out on this parchment. Read it. And swear. By all the spirits of the heart's mountains, I take Christine for my wedded wife. I will ever cherish and love her. My hand shall never be raised to harm her. And if I fail in this my vow, may all the vengeance of the spirits fall upon me and upon my children. May they perish by the vulture or by the beasts of the forest. Why, why, this is horrible. I, I can't. Swear, swear. Oh, all this I, I swear. Father, father. It's a strange behavior from your children, my husband, on our wedding night. Stop crying, Marcella. I'm sorry, Christine. Never mind, my dear husband. I'm not angry. 
But from now on, the children are my concern. They shall obey me. And I shall love the little darlings. The next morning, Wilfred the hunter mounted his horse and rode away. Things went on much as before the marriage, except that Christine showed us no kindness now. She often struck us and took special pleasure in ill-treating Marcella. One night, my little sister shook us as we slept. Wake up, brother. Wake up, Herman. What's the matter, Marcella? She's gone out. Gone out? Yes, in her night clothes. I saw her get out of bed... Then she looked at Father to make sure he still was asleep. Then she went out the door. A wolf. She'll be torn to pieces. Oh, no. Much as I hate her, that would be too horrible. What can have made her go out all undressed in the deep snow? She's strange. She's dreadful. Her eyes flash fire when they look at me. Her teeth are like an animal. She certainly eats queerly. Have you noticed she doesn't like to sit at the table? While getting supper, I've seen her tear at a piece of meat that wasn't even cooked. Shh. There she is in the firelight. She's in her white nightdress. Washing her face and hands in the water pail. Father hasn't even waked up. Shh. She's going back to bed. We might as well go to sleep now, but we'll watch again tomorrow night. The next night and every night, our stepmother rose from bed and left the cottage. And every night, the wolf howled under our windows. And always on her return, Christine washed herself, then crept back to bed. And always, my father slept soundly. Well, the, the time came when my brother could stand it no longer. Caesar, why have you come to bed all fully dressed? I'm going to find out about these midnight walks. You'll tell father? Not until I know where she goes and what she does. Caesar, you don't mean that you... Yes, tonight I'm going to follow her. No, Caesar, please don't. Please don't, I'm afraid. I know you're brave, but I wish you wouldn't go, brother. I'm going now. There's no use talking. Shh. She's getting up now. Quiet, you two. There she goes to the door. Careful, Caesar, be careful. He took Father's gun. Oh, I'm so frightened. So am I. I'm shaking all over. I wonder how long we'll have to wait. A shot. Father will surely wait now and find out about her. No. Listen. He's still asleep. Someone's coming. Oh, I hope... Uh, it's not Caesar. It's Christine. Shh. Look at her. Marcella. Her dress is all covered with blood. Now, what's she doing? Oh. Huh? Who's there? Lie still, dearest. It's only me. Oh. I'm just relighting the fire to warm some water. Hurry back, Christine, mine. You should be asleep at this time of night. We watched our stepmother change her linen and burn the garments. Her leg was bleeding. 
She bandaged it and sat before the fire. But where was Caesar? And how did Christine get the wound unless from his gun? Trembling in our bed, we waited. Waited till dawn. Father awoke. Father? What is it, Herman? Father, where is my brother Caesar? What do you mean, son? Oh, he went out in the night. Marcella and I waited for him. He's not come back. Merciful heaven. I was restless last night and thought I heard someone lift the latch. Dear me, husband, what has become of your gun? My gun? Great heaven, it's gone. Caesar took it. Herman, get me the broad axe. I'm going to find Caesar. Why did Caesar go out? What has happened to him? Be still. <laughs> your whimpering will not help. Here comes your father now. Father. Oh, father's carrying Caesar. It's torn to pieces. Oh. Clear the table. There, the body of my oldest son. <laughs> Quiet, children. <laughs> Husband, your boy must have taken the gun to shoot a wolf. The animal must have been too powerful for him. Poor boy. At that terrible moment. I wanted to tell Father all we knew, but Marcella held my arm and looked so imploringly at me that I kept silent. She and I were sure that Christine had some connection with our brother's death. Father dug a grave and piled stones on it, and for days he, he just sat and stared at the fire, mourning for Caesar. Our stepmother's wanderings continued. One day, Father again took down his gun to go hunting, but soon returned. Would you believe it, Christine? The wolves' perdition to the whole breed have dug up the body of my poor boy, and there's nothing left of him but bones. Indeed. Then you must build a new grave. Father, a wolf howls under our window every night. Oh, why didn't you tell me? Wake me the next time you hear it. I'll get that wolf. Have you not yet learned that it is safest to leave wolves alone? Why, Christine... Your eyes are wild, and and you're almost snarling at me. But I'm so afraid for you, dear husband. We never heard the wolf howl under our window again. Well, when, when at last spring came, and I helped my father with our small farm, Marcella was always with us, for we couldn't bear to have her out of our sight. Our stepmother stopped going out on her nightly rambles. One day, she came out to us and said she was going to collect some herbs Father wanted and that Marcella must go to the cottage to watch the dinner. Well, Marcella obeyed, and we saw my stepmother disappear into the forest in the opposite direction, so felt no danger for my little sister. But about an hour later... Marcella! She's by herself! Run, Herman, run! Uh, great heaven. Look... The white wolf. Slinking out of our cottage. Kill it, Father. I have no gun. We're too late. It's gone. Oh. 
Oh, my little Marcella. Oh, Wolf has hurt her terribly. She's bleeding, Father. She's dying. Marcella. Marcella, my darling. Speak to me. Why? What's wrong? Oh, how horrible. Poor child. Oh, it must have been that great white wolf which passed me just now and frightened me so. She's quite dead. Oh, my poor husband. How horrible. How horrible. We dug a grave for my darling little sister and did everything we could to protect it against wolves. Well, I was alone now. So, so awfully alone. But no longer afraid of my stepmother. My heart was full of hate and revenge. That very night, I saw Christine get up and go out of the cottage. I dressed quickly and half opened the door. The moon was very bright, and I could see Marcella's grave. But I saw something else. Something so horrible that I turned cold in my heart and ran to wake my father. Father! Father, get up and dress. Hurry! Uh, what? The wolves again? I'll be right there. Get my gun. I... I have it, Father. Come. Herman, stop. Who is that crouching on Marcella's grave? Christine. Yes, in her white nightdress. She's digging with her hands. She's throwing the stones behind her. Her, her face is as cruel as a wild beast. Oh. Oh, she's destroying Marcella's grave. Your grandfather, shoot. Yes, my son, yes. Pray that my hand holds steady. <laughs> Heaven forgive me. I have killed my beautiful Christine. No. No, look, Father. The body on Marcella's grave. The body you've killed is, is not my stepmother. It's not Christine. No. No, it's the white wolf. The white wolf which lured me into the forest. The white wolf that killed my children. Oh, I, I see it all now. My oath. My oath to the spirits of I the heart's mountains. of the heart's mountain. I take Christine for my wedded wife. I will ever cherish and love her. My hand shall never be raised to harm her. And if I fail in this, my vow, may all the vengeance of the spirits fall upon me and upon my children. May they perish by the vulture or by the beasts of the forest. <laughs> Poor fool mortal who had a werewolf. Your beautiful Christine, a werewolf. A werewolf. <laughs> stop, demon, stop. I shall go mad. <laughs> Come, my son, my little Herman. You at least may escape this awful curse. We must flee for our lives, away from these evil forests, to the sea. There you'll be safe, my son. There you will be safe.
the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the werewolf. Bellkeeper, hold the bell. Good evening, dear listeners. I am Barnabas Collins. I hope you will forgive the intrusion, and I hope that you have been enjoying Broken Sea Audio Productions' OTR Swagcast. Please allow me to introduce the next haunting episode of Dark Shadows. All of us at Collinwood remain concerned about the state of mind of young David Collins. We are unaware that at this moment, at the Eagle Hill Cemetery, two people are about to meet for the first time. They will recognize each other, and they will know that together they may travel a long, dark, and dangerous path to help the troubled little boy who means so much to both of them. Can you understand that? Because he was afraid, just like Maggie was afraid. That's right, you know Maggie too, don't you? You gave her a doll. Yes, because she was sad and afraid. That was very kind of you, Sarah. Do you know why Maggie and David are so frightened? No, no, I don't. Sarah, I'm hoping that you're going to be a very good little girl and... and tell me.
Sarah, you've got to tell me about some of these things that you know. It's terribly important. I don't think I should do that. Why not? Because people don't keep secrets anymore. They're always giving them away. Aren't you fond of David? Of course I am. Oh, so am I. That, that's why we're here, isn't it? You have my flute. I like to play it a lot. And it, it is your flute that David found, isn't it? Of course. We didn't believe him when he told us that. In fact, many people don't believe that anything that David says, they think he tells lies, and that's, he's very sick. I was sick once. I know that. Sarah, when was that? How long ago? Oh, a long, long time ago. When you were sick, something happened, didn't it? David he told said, me that. Yes, 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 he did. You know, Sarah, that some people think that David ought to be put away for treatment. In a big room, just like Maggie was? That's right, in a big room with bars. Well, you wouldn't want that to happen to David, would you? No. Well, then, you've got to tell me. Tell me the things you know. I don't think I should do that. Oh, Sarah. Sarah, look, you're... You're all alone on the earth, aren't you? Yes. It must be very lonely for you at times. Sometimes. But not when you're with David. When, you, when you're playing with David, you're not lonely, are you? No. Well, if they put David away, why, then you'll be all alone again for a very long, long time. You wouldn't like that, would you? No. Then, if you please me, I'll promise that no one will put David away. What do you want to know? Sarah. Sir, is there a secret room here in the mausoleum? Sir, sir, tell me. Where is it? On the other side of that wall. But this is where, this is where David went yesterday. Couldn't get in. I know. Yesterday the door was sealed. But who sealed it? Somebody who wanted it closed. But I wanted it open, so I unsealed it. It exists. It exists just the way David said it did. Well, if this exists, then what about all the other things he's been telling us? And what, a, what about all those things? The coffin. He, he said it was empty. One more thing that David didn't lie about. One more piece fitted into place. Sarah. Sarah. Has the coffin always been empty? I don't know about always. Well, I don't know about always, but Sarah, well, what do you know about? I mean, was it just waiting here for someone who who died and then couldn't be buried in it for some reason? I don't understand. I think you do understand. I don't understand. This is so fantastic. Sarah, was there anyone ever buried in this coffin? Now, you've got to tell me so I can help David. He's in serious trouble. I can't tell you. I can't. 
Sarah, I'm going to have to try to figure it out for myself. An empty coffin waiting for someone who died. Someone who died terribly, horribly, perhaps shamefully. Someone who died and then for some reason couldn't be buried in the usual place, in the usual way. So his coffin stands empty. Is that the reason, Sarah? Is that it? Tell me. coffin wasn't always empty. Someone was buried here. I know that now. Oh, yes, someone who wouldn't stay dead. Someone whose desire to return to life was so strong they had to wrap him in chains. He broke those chains and left, leaving his coffin empty. Who was he, Sarah? Who, who was buried here? Sarah. No way at all of buying that house. Not for the next five years, there isn't. The old crackpot who owned it really saw to that. I'm sorry, Vicky. I know how much getting it meant to you. Yes. Well, look, it isn't the only house in the world. We can buy another house right here in Collinsport. I suppose so. Vicky, I have to go out of town for a few days on business. And when I come back, we have something very important to do. What? Well, first we're going to set a date for the wedding. And then we're going to look for the best house we can find and get it all furnished before the wedding. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure we can do it so soon. Well, I am. Now, the first order of business will be the house. After all, Mr. and Mrs. Burke Dublin have to set up somewhere, don't they? Hmm? If they're married, yes. Well, now, what's that supposed to mean? You do still want to marry me, don't you? Yes, of, of course I do, but we can't just rush into it, can we? Rush? Vicky, we didn't meet last night in the moonlight. We've known each other for quite some time now. Please, try to understand the way I feel. To me, not being able to get that house. Well, it, it was like getting a message. What kind of a message? A message that, that we shouldn't get married, at least not right now. Well, I'm sorry. That's one message I refuse to accept, so send it back. But please don't get annoyed. I'm not annoyed. I just... All right. I am annoyed and disappointed. I may be in the process of losing you. Oh, no, you're, you're not losing me, and we will be married, but it just can't be right now, that's all. When can it be? Right. I don't exactly know. Yes, I do. When David is better. And when is that going to be? I wish I knew. Of course, I should have realized. That's what the conversation's been about. Not about the house, but David. Look, I can't leave him now the, the way he is. And, and I suppose they got a new governess who didn't understand him. Anyway, I'm not just his governess. I'm his friend. And you are too, aren't you? Yes. And he's your friend. He, he worships you, Burke. You know, he finds it easier to talk to you than he does to his own father. Yes, I know. If, if we got married now, he wouldn't have anyone. We'd be off somewhere. I keep remembering. Waking up and, and hearing him scream that night he had a terrible dream. 
All right. What is it you want to do? Just wait. And I'd like you to wait, too. And try not to be annoyed with me or with David. All right. I'll wait. I couldn't really be annoyed with you, you know that. Nor with David, either. But old Caleb Collins, that skinflint, wherever he is, at him I'm very annoyed. Well, I can't blame you for that. I'm also disappointed. And, believe it or not, I'm frightened. Of what? Of losing you. Of something taking you away from me. Of something fighting me to possess your love. Nothing is going to take me away from you. Nothing. I've got to talk to Burke. He isn't here. Where is he? Where can he be reached? I'm afraid he can. He's gone out of town for a few days. I, I can't wait a few days. Well, is there anything that I can do to help you? You can find out where he went. I'm afraid I can't do that. He didn't tell me where he was going or, or even what kind of business he was going in. That's too bad. Dr. Woodard, is there any way that I can help you? There. There will be, Vicky. There will be, but not now. First, I've got to check out a few facts. Where's Where's Julia Hoffman? Oh, she's been down at the old house all day. Oh, yes, of course she has. Vicky, look, there is one thing you can do for me. I want to look at some books in the library. Some books on the Collins family history. Is there any book in particular? I don't know yet. Well, they're all on the bottom two shelves in the library, except for the one that uh, that Julia's been working on, and and they're in a pile on the desk. I'll get started. Dr. Woodard? Yes, what? You have something very important to tell Burke, don't you? Yes, I do, Vicky. You see, this afternoon, after I left here, I... Yes, what happened? I don't think I ought to tell you a thing, Vicky. Why not? Well, let me put it this way. That what you don't know can't hurt you. Let me get to my reading. Hello, Vicky. Hello, Julia. I know things seem fairly reasonably quiet here. How's David feeling? Oh, he's a little calmer. I'm glad. No more delusions? Nope. Well, that's not surprising. After hauling everybody down to the mausoleum last night and finding nothing... Oh, you heard about that? Yes, I had coffee with Roger this morning. He said that David's folly was carried to the ridiculous last night. I don't think it's very fair to call us and bothering David's folly. Well, I couldn't call it that. I was simply quoting his father. I think David's a very disturbed little boy. Roger said that Mrs. Stoddard was having a psychiatrist out to see him. But... Yes. He talked to David for quite some time. Oh, and what was the report? 
That David has an inordinate fear of death. That seems to be the crux of it. Mm -hmm. Most of us are afraid of death, aren't we? Yes, I suppose so, and there's not much we can do about it. No, there isn't. Well, now that everyone realizes that David has imagined all those things, perhaps they'll leave Barnabas in the old house alone. I think it's about time, don't you? They were only doing it to help David. Oh, yes, of course. But unfortunately, Barnabas has been the innocent victim of David's imagination. I don't blame him for being upset when people came in and demanded to see the cellar of his house. And now when he hears about the mausoleum... He doesn't know about that yet. No. He's, he's been away all day. But he'll be back soon. When he does, he'll be furious. I don't see why he should be furious about that. Well, his, his, his relatives are buried there in kind of a desecration, don't you think? No. And Burke and Dr. Woodard didn't mean it that way at all. Oh, by the way, Dr. Woodard was looking for you. Oh, was he? Well, I'll call him as soon as I've had a chance to freshen up a bit. You don't have to call him. He's in the study. In the study? What's he doing there? He's looking for some books. What books? Books on the Collins family history. I see. Well, perhaps I, I, I'd better go see him now. Julia, come in. Shut the door, will you? I don't want anyone to overhear us. Dave, what are you doing with those books? I've just been delving into a few relationships in the Collins family. Why? Yes, why? That's the question. Julia, I just found out that the original Barnabas Collins had a sister. You know the name of that sister? It was Sarah. An interesting fact, but I, I, I fail to understand your preoccupation with a girl who left the scene over a hundred years ago. Julia, Sarah Collins never left the scene, and you know it. I know that David thinks she exists. That's what I know. Sam Evans has seen her, and they found her fruit and her doll. They found a fruit and a doll, not necessarily hers. No, hers. Sarah Collins, sister of Barnum's. I'm sorry, Dave, but I, I don't understand why you're so concerned with Sarah Collins. I'll tell you why I'm so concerned. I've met her. Met her? And talked to her. Where? In the mausoleum. You're trying to tell me you, you, you met a ghost, a child who's dead? Over a hundred years, yes. Dave, that's ridiculous. Why? Well, because you're a doctor, a scientist. How can you ask me why? I tell you, I saw Sarah. I talked to her. Dave, perhaps you've been hammering away too hard at all this. You're overtired and overwrought. I know you want to help David. We all want to help David. You won't help him if you turn into a... a... Psychopath? No, of course not. But, but you are overtired. If, if you were you, yourself, you, you'd realize how, how ridiculous this all is. Two doctors arguing about a ghost. I'm sorry. Julia, I saw Sarah Collins. Why are 
don't we try to keep Sarah where she belongs? In these books? Or in David's mind? No. Dave, Dr. Fisher is a good psychiatrist. He believes that David is hallucinating. Surely you have to give some credence to Fisher. Yes, and to Sam Evans. You keep dismissing the facts that, that Sam saw the child. Sam Evans saw nothing. He's an artist. A highly suggestible human being. He was going through a very trying experience at the time. Besides, Sam Evans is known to drink a good deal. Some people see pink elephants. He saw Sarah Collins. Julia, I don't care if you tell me what a hundred Dr. Fisher's say. Or discredit every bit of evidence that I mentioned. Dave, I'm not discrediting you. I I'm concerned about you. You're tired. I think you should rest. No, I appreciate your concern about my health and welfare, but I assure you it's not necessary. I'm not tired, and I'm, I'm not upset, and I'm not conjuring up ghosts. I tell you, Julia, I saw Sarah Collins. I saw her as clearly as I see you. I talked to her, she talked to me. Now that I know that she exists, I'm going to find out why. Why? Yes. Must have been a very extraordinary reason that brought her back after all these years, and I think once we've uncovered that reason, Julia, we'll, we'll finally have arrived at the truth in this twisted situation. You really believe that, Dave? Yes. And what are you going to do about it? I don't know exactly, but I, I do know I'm not going to arrest until I find out why Sarah Collins has come back to Earth. <laughs> Dark Shadows is a Dan Curtis production. Another night has come and we at Collinwood go on fearing for the state of mind of young David Collins. He has told us the terrifying secrets he knows, and we have not believed him. But there is someone who does believe him. And before this night is over, that someone will be a step closer to the truth, and thus a step closer to the valley of death.
Good evening. Who are you? What are you doing here? We met once at the Eagle, the Eagle Hill Cemetery. Eagle Hill? Yes, I, I was on my way to the Collins Mausoleum. Oh, yes, I remember. Why do you come here now? You, you told me that there was a curse on the Collins family tomb. You, you remember? You went there in spite of my warning. Yes. Now I've come here because... Because I think you know why that curse was placed on that tomb. Now, I want you to tell me. living can tell you why there is a curse on the Collins' family tomb. Only the dead can do that. Only the dead. That night in the cemetery, you, you spoke about a, a journal. Journal? Yes, you said that Joshua Collins had written something about the, about the curse in a family journal. Yes, that's, that's true. Is it still here? Somewhere, the family archives. I, I haven't looked at it for years. Can I see it? You will not find in it what you are looking for. Why not? Because it merely states that there is a curse. It does not specify the nature of it. You sure? Wasn't it? Why do you want to know these things? What are you doing here? I'm not quite sure what I'm looking for and what I'm doing here, but, well, I just know that I'm reasonably sure that, well, that, uh, I'm reasonably sure that the, the secret of the Collins Mausoleum has some bearing on, on some crimes that have been committed around here recently. What kind of crimes? Several women have been attacked by some man or creature, and one woman was was kidnapped and found at the Collins Mausoleum. Do you think one of the, one of the bodies in that to, tomb? I don't know what to think. I just would appreciate your cooperation. Oh, what can I do? Just let me look at some of the records of the Collins family. Take some time for me to get them all. Collins' records have not been disturbed for many, many years. You take all the time you need. I'll wait. Good evening, Barnabas. 
Good evening, Roger. Well, I must say, it's a pleasant surprise to see you here at Collinwood. I thought you might have disowned the rest of the family by now. Why on earth would I do a thing like that? Well, after all the nonsense you've been subjected to, I wouldn't blame you if you had. On the contrary, I came to the house to see if David's mental state had improved any. Oh, that's very kind of you, Barnabas. But I think it's going to be some time before David is himself again. Well, Elizabeth said the psychiatrist had gotten to calm down considerably. At least he's not telling any more stories about hidden coffins. Yes, well, if I have my way this evening, he won't be able to tell any more such stories, at least here at Collingwood. What do you mean? I think you were right about David. I think the best thing for him is to send him away someplace. And while I was in Boston, I think I've come up with the ideal place. I'm going to talk to Elizabeth tonight and try to convince her that it's the only solution. Well, for David's sake, I hope you succeed. Thank you, Barnabas. Good night. Good night, Roger. Sarah Collins, aged ten, a child of singular cheer and enduring virtue. It isn't Sarah I'm so interested in at the moment. They parted this life after sickening with a fever, deeply mourned by mother, father, and grieving brother. Yes. It's that grieving brother I want to find out more about. Barnabas Collins. Yes. It was an astonishing thing. What was? The resemblance between Barnabas Collins and his ancestor. He was walking through the cemetery one night. And when I first looked at him, I thought he was the original Barnabas Collins. Come back to life. This is, this is very strange. Well, what is it? Well, it says here that Barnabas Collins suddenly went away to England after surviving a, a brief siege of the fever which did most seriously deprive him of his strength and alter his personality. It's strange that both he and his sister were afflicted by the fever. But the little girl died and was buried here. Well, here's something even more interesting. Listen. Listen. On the very same day that Barnabas went away, his, his father ordered the mausoleum to be built in... Eagle Hill Cemetery. Oh, why did he have it built there, so far away from the other Collins graves? I don't know. Could have had... Might have been something to do with why Barnabas went away. According to the family records, Barnabas Collins remained in England for the rest of his life. Family records are no different from any other kind of records. They don't always tell the truth. What do you mean? I don't think that Barnabas Collins ever went to England in the first place. I don't think that he ever left Collinsport. David is not leaving Collinwood, Roger, and that's all there is to it. I think you should at least hear me out. I've heard enough. Military school, indeed. And what's wrong with a military school? It may be fine for some little boys, but not for David. Elizabeth, David is living in a world of fantasy. I think that the hard reality and discipline of a military school is just what the doctor ordered. I've spoken to the doctor, and it's not what he ordered. Do you really think that this psychiatrist that you sent for is going to help David? 
I think that whatever is troubling David will be taken care of right here and not by sending him away. You haven't answered my question. Dr. Fisher has a very fine reputation. If anyone can get to the bottom of David's problem, he can. And so we're to go on letting David tell his wild stories and make these outrageous accusations about members of the family, is that it? Is he embarrassing you, Roger? Is that why you want to send him away? You know better than that. Yes, I do. I'm sorry. I know you're as concerned about him as the rest of us. Liz, won't you at least come to Boston with me and let me show you this school? It's unfair of you to pass judgment without even seeing the place. Roger, as far as I'm concerned, the subject is closed. You're just being arbitrary and unreasonable. I'm doing what I think is best for David. He's my son, Elizabeth. I can send him wherever I choose, with or without your approval. Well, if he leaves, it's without my approval. And I wouldn't let that happen if I were you, Roger. Oh, very well. Go along with... Dr. Fisher for the time being, at least. But I'm going to keep his application on file at school. Just in case the good doctor doesn't work out. Good evening, Roger. Mrs. Stoddard. Well, Dr. Woodard, what can we do for you? I'd like to see David, if I may. Well, it's rather late for that, isn't it? No, I promised I'd be by earlier, but I was detained by a patient. Well, if he's still awake, I don't mind. I'll go and get him. Can I offer you a drink, Doctor? No, thank you. I have some work to do later. Well, you must work around the clock. Lately, it would seem that way. Yes. Well, let's go into the drawing room. You'll be more comfortable. Is, um, something the matter? I know. I was just fascinated by the portraits. Very interesting. Tell me, what do you find interesting about it? The eyes. They seem to follow you wherever you go. I've often wondered how painters achieve that effect. Dr. Woodard. Is there something in particular you want to see David about? No. Why? Well, I just wondered whether it was a professional or a friendly call. You might say both. I promised David I'd drop by and talk to him after he'd seen Dr. Fisher. You really think that this Dr. Fisher will be able to help David? If David cooperates with him, yes. Well, I hope you're right. He hasn't had any peace of mind for this past year. First, the experience with his mother... And now these hallucinations about Barnabas. They're not hallucinations. Oh, Doctor, you think that these hallucinations have any basis in fact? I don't know what to think anymore. Well, personally, I think it's a matter of environment. David is lonely here. He, he needs playmates. I think that if he were given the chance to be around children his own age for a while, we will have to continue this discussion at another time, Doctor. Why don't you and I go into the study and leave Dr. Woodard and David by themselves? All right. Good night. Hello, Dr. Woodard. How are you feeling, David? Fine, I guess. And you're going to be feeling a lot better and very soon. What do you mean? David, I came by tonight to tell you that I, I believe you now. I believe everything you told me. Why do you believe me now? Because I went out to the mausoleum tonight myself and I met Sarah. 
You did? Yes, we had a long and very interesting talk. What did she tell you? Well, she didn't tell me everything I wanted to know, but she told me enough so I know that now that whatever it is that's frightened you is, is real and not in your mind. You mean she talked about Barnabas? No, couldn't get her to mention Barnabas, but... Well, I, I do know that Barnabas now, I'm sure, is responsible for sealing that room so we couldn't get into it. Well, if you know that now, why don't you tell everyone? There's one thing to knowing it, David, another to prove it. Well, what are we going to do? I'm going to do a little more investigating, so I'd come up with some more answers. Well, do you think that Barnabas is... Is what, David? Dead? I don't know. The thought of what he might be frightens me as much as it did you. What do you think he might be? That I'm going to find out. And very soon. I know this much. I'm certain of one fact, and that... That is, that Barnabas is the reason for that secret room in the mausoleum. And you think that coffin is his? Was his. I know, it's a terrifying thought. David, I want you to promise me one thing. What is it? That you won't tell anyone about our talk tonight. I want it to be our secret until I can get some more proof. Well, don't you think you should get someone to help you? I tried to get Burke, but... He's gone out of town for a few days. Well, we should wait till he gets back. No, I've got to go through with this myself. I have a feeling that time isn't on my side. Yes, now, David, remember. Not one word to anyone. Now, you just sit tight and I'll take care of everything. I won't say anything. Good boy. Oh, Dr. Woodard. Be very careful, won't you? I wouldn't want anything terrible to happen to you. Don't you worry, David. Nothing's going to happen to me. Barnabas, may I come in? Well, if you're looking for Miss Hoffman, uh, she isn't here. As a matter of fact, it's you I'd like to see. Oh. Well, you come in. Thank you. May I take your coat? Well, thank you. I don't think I'll be here long. What did you want to talk to me about? I wanted to talk to you about your, your cousin David. Ah, yes. How is the boy? A lot more healthy than most people think. Well, that's an interesting comment in view of the rather lurid aberrations the boy's been having. I happen to be a minority of one. I don't think they are aberrations. I see. In face of all the evidence to the contrary, you still give credence to the boy's stories. I find that astonishing for a man of science. Why? Why? Because it's so much nonsense. Why... The boy has told the most incredible stories, one after the other, and each one of them has been proven false. You know, there's another strange thing. What is that? Well, Dave has never given you any reason to... He's never given any reason... You've never given him any reason, rather, to hate him, have you? Not at all. And even before he started to tell these lies, you and he enjoyed a very harmonious relationship. What's your point, Doctor? Well, there must have been a strong motivation that David to... 
won't start telling these lies about you. I can't find that motivation. I thought perhaps you could tell me what it is. I haven't the slightest notion what it is. I suggest you consult the psychiatrist for an answer to that. I talked to Dr. Fisher this afternoon. Now, don't tell me he believes that the boy is telling the truth. No. But he did further a most interesting theory. Oh, and what is that? That he thought that perhaps part of the, the terror that David feels for you and the fear might stem from the remarkable resemblance to the original Barnaby's cops. That resemblance, Doctor, is nothing new. We've known that for a long time. Now, why hasn't David been frightened of it before? Perhaps he read about it in one of the family books. Maybe he read something, something about the original ancestor that terrified him. Now, what could he have read? I was hoping you could tell me that. I don't know that much about the man. I thought you were an authority on family history. On family history, yes. But I don't indulge in the rather dubious practice of looking for skeletons in the family closet. Meaning there are skeletons in the family closet. Doctor, if you don't mind, I think we've uh, played out our little game. There's nothing more to be said. What do you mean? I will spell it out for you. I am sick and tired of being the object of insinuation. I'm fed up with people taking it upon themselves to have me investigated. Now, I've tried to cooperate with all of you, and I've been rewarded with one slap in the face after the other. I saw your sister Sarah tonight. Perhaps David isn't the only one who suffers from aberrations. You know as well as I do that I have no sister. I might have been wrong. I thought she said sister. Maybe what she really said was ancestor. You've overstayed your welcome, Doctor. Good night. Good night, Barnabas. We live through another night at Collingwood, unaware that a man will die before the break of dawn. A man who will soon learn the evil secret that exists in the old house on the Collingwood estate. I am sick and tired of being the object of suspicion and innuendo. I am fed up with people who take it upon themselves to investigate me. Now, I've tried to cooperate with all of you, but I have been rewarded with one slap in the face after another. I will have no more of it. Now, do you understand that, Doctor? I saw your sister Sarah tonight. Apparently, David isn't the only one who's suffering from aberrations. You know as well as I do that I don't have a sister. Perhaps I was wrong. I thought she said sister. Maybe what she really said was ancestor. You have overstayed your welcome, Doctor. Good night. Good night, Barnabas.
Payne, what are you doing here? I just had a talk with Barnabas. I assume that, but what brought you here? Curiosity, Julia. As you would say, idle curiosity. again next week. This has been Bill Holwig from West Texas for Broken Sea Audio Productions. www.brokensea.com Good evening. Good evening. The music for tonight's episode was composed by Brian of Seraphic Panopoli and Stevie Farnaby. 